and we're live. Welcome to this week's episode of MicroConf On Air. As always, I'm your host, Rob Walling. Every Wednesday, we live stream for about 30 minutes. We cover topics related to building and growing ambitious SaaS startups that don't require us to work 80-hour weeks, raise millions of dollars in venture capital, or drive us to the brink of burnout. And we seek freedom, purpose, and healthy relationships. We want to maintain those values while building interesting companies that can have an impact on the world. Or maybe just our little corner of it. I'm excited about my conversation today. I have a, a co-founder team, Josh and Jessica, and they are um, coming at you straight from Montana. I'm here broadcasting from Minneapolis, Minnesota, and we're all routed through producer Xander's computer in Honolulu, Hawaii. Yes. Honolulu, Hawaii. I, if you're in MicroConf Connect, uh, we need to start a thread and give producer Xander crap about how he's in Honolulu, Hawaii now, and we're not. So um, he just moved, and uh, so far the live stream's going great. I love it. This is great, Xander. I'm glad I'm glad we're able to pull this off. So today I'm talking with the co-founders of Cardsetter.com, Cardsetter.com, and they, in essence, I, I'm curious to hear how they describe it. Um, their H1 is get the website you want, custom design and setup included. And so in my mind, they're like Squarespace plus setup, Squarespace plus services. Um, so they're, you know, obviously website hosting platform, um, website builder, and then they, they have the design stuff built. Yeah, there you go. Um, you know, they have design elements built into it as well. And so the co-founders are Josh Tenyes and Jessica Baldwin, again, coming from uh, Billings and Missoula, Montana, respectively. I learned that that's a five and a half hour drive. For some reason, you hear these city names, I thought they were closer, but they're the co-founders of Cardsetter. And today we're going to be talking about how they were trying to raise funding. And as the COVID pandemic came into play, they essentially decided to stop and to double down on growth instead. They've grown from 18 customers in December of last year to more than 100 customers at the start of July. So that was about a month ago. If you have questions at any time for Josh and Jessica, um, as I welcome them to the show, please do post them in the MicroConf On Air channel in MicroConf Connect. And if you're not in MicroConf Connect and want to ask a question, go to microconfconnect.com and apply to be part of our, it's a pretty amazing community. There's more than 1,300 founders and aspiring SaaS founders in there right now, people helping each other out and a lot of great threads and a lot of great energy. So with that, Josh and Jessica, welcome to MicroConf on Air. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for having us, Rob. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. So a um, bit to cover today because you, you guys have a, a pretty a pretty fun story. So you guys started bootstrapping card, card setter. And then at a certain point, you were invited to participate in a regional pitch competition. And that almost, it sounds like that might have sent you down this path of, hey, maybe we should raise some funding. So I, I guess to start with, Josh, what, what made you decide to enter this pitch competition rather than just focusing on continuing to bootstrap the company? Um, you know, very early on, we had this um, mindset that we would pursue any opportunity that was, that was given us. And we decided like, that's how we're going to grow. And that's how we're going to uh, improve ourselves and improve our company. And uh, that was an opportunity that, that we had. And we thought uh, this could be a, a really good um, thing if we, if we won and went down this path, but at the very least, it's an exercise in learning how to describe the company and also making connections uh, in the community. And so, so we decided to, to, uh, to enter that and participate in it and, and put all the work, you know, involved in doing that. Very cool. And do you feel like entering that competition was a slippery slope of like, well, now that we've done it, 
there's like, we should pursue funding. Like, did it, did it encourage you to then um, continue on? Because later on, you, you know, you, we'll get to it, but you, you started trying to raise an angel round in, in March. Was without the pitch competition, do you think you would have gone down that path at all? You know, it, it's hard to say. And, and in fact, we've, we've had this conversation a bunch of times just between us. Um, and I don't, I don't really know. It's hard to say like where Card Setter uh, would be as a company had we not gone down that path. Um, we have always talked about funding and obviously early, early in our, um, early in our company, it was always this, this, uh, oh, you know, you just come up with this great idea and you put some work in and then uh, you go to some VC and then they write you a check and that's how it works. And, and so throughout the last few years, we've learned that process. So it, I think it's hard to say if we would have uh, not tried to raise funding, had we not done that pitch competition, but that's really what opened the door to go down that path. Yeah, that makes, makes sense. And, and Jessica, I'm curious, um, some things I didn't mention is, you know, when did you guys start working on Card Setter? And when did you, um, I guess, launch, however you want to define that. Typically, I say, like, when was your first paying customer is kind of that definition. But talk to us briefly about what that timeline looked like. And then we can go from there to be like, when, when did the pitch competition, you know, come within that? Yeah, so we um, started the idea for Card Setter in 2016. Um, and it was kind of born because uh, in my previous career, I owned my own um, revenue generating website. It was a local event and entertainment website for Billings, Montana, which is where I lived at the time. Um, and I was unhappy with the, the existing options. Um, it was running on WordPress then and um, wasn't efficient for me. Um, and so we started, Josh and I started brainstorming on what would make a better website for Billings 365 and determined that um, other people could use the, the idea that we had as well for their website. And so that's kind of how it was started. Um, our first paying customer was honestly not too too long after that. Um, I would say maybe six months to a year after that, because we did have the opportunity um, because of our previous work to talk to some people who might be interested and get them signed up. Um, but then sure. uh, last year was really the when the product was at a good stage to launch it to other people. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. And did you, when you're coming up with this idea or starting to work on it, are you, um, like Squarespace already exists, you know, and, and Wix and like all these other website builders. And so what were you thinking in terms of how we're going to be different? Or did you feel like, hey, the market's big enough, we don't, we don't need the differentiation? Yeah, so Squarespace and Wix um, are great in terms of like a, ge a general website builder, but they're also limited in a way that like WordPress is not. And so Cardsetter, we don't talk about it a lot in our marketing because we found that it's not really a differentiator that makes people sign up for the product, but Cardsetter is more robust in terms of managing lots and lots of content, being able to organize that content in an easy way on your website. Um, and so we do differentiate in that way. And then uh, through trying to market Card Setter last year, you know, after our product was ready, um, we were going down the path of this very content creator heavy niche. Um, but in trying to market to that audience, we found that what people were really drawn to was how easy Card Setter was to use um, and the fact that we did help them get started with design and setup. And 
you know, also having an affordable price with that. So those were the three key things that through talking to potential customers, whether they were a content creator or whether they were a different small business um, that really stood out and started to craft what Card Setter is now. Yeah, and just so folks have context, um, your pricing, you have three pricing tiers on your pricing page. The lowest one is $49 a month with a $199 setup fee. Uh, your middle one is 129 a month with a 299 setup fee, and then you have custom pricing. But your setup fee um, includes basically, uh, you say it's a, a custom website design. I'm, I'm presuming there's templates and then you help them migrate, design an initial setup, even e-commerce integrations, DNS, all that. That sounds like a lot of work. Um, Josh, for only $199 on that low plan, do you find that, is that kind of a loss leader? And since churn is low, by switching costs, if they don't know how to move, you know, from, from uh, card setter to whatever other platform that your churn is so low, lifetime value justifies it? Or do you break even on that, that $200 or $300 setup fee? Yeah, I, it's, it's not really a loss leader. I think we, we probably break even on the setup fee. We're not making money, uh, on the setup fee, obviously, but it does it does solve this uh, the blank slate problem, uh, where people what we found um, is people aren't it helps them a lot if they have some help getting their website set up and get the design done, and, and that makes it a lot easier for people to decide to pull the trigger and make the switch because it it is difficult to change website providers. Like once you have a website up and running and you have hundreds of pages on your, on your site or, or even 20 pages sometimes can be a lot, um, that setup and design makes it a lot easier for somebody to say, okay, yes, I'll, I'll go ahead and do that. And so it's really about the lifetime value, um, but we're willing to break even on that setup fee in order to help them get, help them move over. Am I correct in, in assuming that your churn is quite low and your lifetime value is quite high because of that? Yeah, right. Absolutely. Yeah, and and uh, it's all about statistics. I mean, obviously, uh, we don't have, you know, five years of history to look at. We look at our leading indicators for, for projecting churn, um, but, it, but it's been really low thus far. Are most of your um, customers less technical? I won't say non-technical, but they're, I'm imagining they're, they're not developers. They're not web developers. They're folks who run, you know, I, I'm just looking at your testimonials. Um, it's like Zoo Montana on your homepage. Um, dang it, I saw a few others. And um, probably at the bottom. Yeah, yeah. Girlhood yeah. Cultivated, Hidden Montana, Simply Family Magazine. I imagine they do these folks, they just kind of want their, the software to get out of their way. They don't, they don't really want software. They just want a website. Is that, is that a pretty right. good estimation of right. your cut? Yeah. These are customers that are running a business, you know, mm -hmm. um, they, they have lots of things, even if their website is their business, because we have uh, quite a few customers who their business is their website. Um, but they're, they're mostly small businesses. They don't have a big staff. They don't have somebody usually dedicated on staff just to their website. And so the, the, the less amount of time that they can spend on their website, the better. Um, yeah. they're, they're not in there tinkering with WordPress, and that's why a lot of people switched to us. Right. And so after you, you did the pitch competition, um, and then I believe there was another, there was like a pitch week or there was another thing. You got like a boot camp or an Excel, like a week-long accelerator you're involved in. And then you started looking at raising the angel round in March, right, as the pandemic started ramping up. 
um, and, and effectively decided not to do that, to focus on growth instead. What was the, what was the story there? Was it purely, hey, it's COVID and, and the money dried up? Did you not have enough traction? Um, what, you know, talk to me a little bit about that. So we, we, we went from the regional pitch competition, and I, I like telling the story because we lost the regional competition. Um, we got voted in as a, as a wild card participant and we were uh, able to attend the Hyper Accelerator, and then we participated in the statewide comp pitch competition, uh, and we lost at that one. Uh, but but we went on, and we were able to raise a we did raise a small um, amount of non-equity financing uh, after that, like as a result of our participation in that Hyper Accelerator and that statewide competition. Um, but that was small; it wasn't a full full seed round. It was not an equity round, and so we went in March to try to raise that. Um, and that was right before COVID hit. And we decided right after, you know, not being able to raise that, that seed round that our time would be best spent in, instead of um, not being able to work on the product because we would be out spending months trying to fundraise during a really economically uncertain time. Um, that our time would be best spent to to pause on the raise and to just focus on uh, growing the company so that we have more we're in a much better position to go to go raise if we decide to do that um, you know in the future hopefully when when things calm down. Yeah, that makes sense. Sorry. And and Je Jessica, I'd like to add, we have a question actually from uh, the MicroConf on air channel from Rahul. He says, since a part of your a core a core part of your value proposition is the service bit, uh, obviously there's setup and then you do a couple changes per month included in their monthly fee. How would you scale this to be a venture funded fundable business? And I presume he's saying that if you were you know you were raising funding, so you were thinking this would be a venture fundable business. Yeah. So we provide um, that service there as. Um, you know, a lot of our customers, because Cardsetter is so easy to use, they use that service a lot less than one would think. Um, and so, you know, the idea is there to have it there for those folks who who do need a little extra help, um, who don't want to take care of certain tasks on their own. Um, but most of them are able to take care of most of their website tasks on their own. Um, and then on top of that, our platform is so easy for us to use that it's really efficient for us to, you know, spin up a website, put a design on it and make changes to it. Um, so it really is a matter of trying to become even more efficient to minimize the human time involved in the website uh, to then allow us to scale even further. Right. And following up on that, I mean, it sounded like it sounds like there was a pivot earlier this year. Was that after the the attempted fundraising is that when you pivoted into our, um yeah talk to me about that yeah so actually our pivot took place in december of last year um as i mentioned okay. we were trying to market card setter into this niche um and we tried a small test in december where we said okay how could we make this really easy offer for people to sign up for so you know uh really inexpensive subscription um auto do sign and set up for them, put up a landing page and see who signs up. And we had like 10 sign up, signups in one day, which was 
significant for us at the stage of our company and after struggling so much through last year to try to sell into that niche. And we thought, okay, well, that has some life to it. Let's move forward with that. Um, and so at that point, we changed all of the messaging on our on our um, homepage to adjust to this more general small business audience um, and start marketing that way. And we went um, really quickly then from our, our 20 customers in December up to our 100 in July, just changing that strategy. And what's been the main source of leads for you then? Because I imagine, I mean, there's a lot of tools that do this and I'm curious how people are finding you and you know why they're gravitating towards card setter versus the competition. I'll prepare to take notes on this because it's a very exciting growth hack. Direct outreach through cold emails is how we've we've grown. Excellent. Very nice. Cold email works, I tell you. Especially with folks who are not already inundated in, with cold email. My MicroConf Europe talk from uh, feels like 10 years ago, but it was actually about 11 months ago. Um, you know, and you can still get on a plane and like go places. But yeah, part of yeah. my MicroConf Europe talk was like what's working for tiny seed companies, right? Because now I've, I have kind of a view across, there's 23 tiny seed companies and then I have an additional, I think it's like 12 angel investments. So it's about 35 companies that I have like pretty deep insight into. Um, and one of the things is the cold email still works, but it only works in these niches that aren't already inundated with it constantly, right? So I get what, five or 10 cold emails a day probably not going to get through, but it sounds like you're targeting niches and, and folks that are not already in a data. Yeah, if I, if deep, dive a little deeper on that. We're really specific with our list. So we hmm. identify people who we know are um, likely to be dissatisfied with their other provider um, and who are probably paying more than what card setter costs. Um, and so that's really helped us drive our growth. Um, and then in addition to that, you know, we are trying, we're testing other marketing channels, but that's the one that's consistently performing for us to get to get to mm -hmm. this stage. Um, and we know we need to, you know, diversify from there, but that's where we're, right. that's where we're at right now. Yeah. And we have a, a fo quick follow-up to that. And then I have a couple questions about the phone number on your site, but uh, Will Johnson says, what kind of response rates on cold emails are you getting? That's a question for Jessica. Um, we're seeing about, you know, the typical one to two percent. We did have some. Oh, sorry. There's a delay. Keep going with it. Yeah. So we're seeing about a, you know, one to three percent kind of um, uh, conversion rate on cold email with that campaign. Cool. And the next question is from Justin Jackson. It, it, I have a question for you about phone support, but he asks a little, little different question. You have a phone number on your website, how many people call it? And I mean, literally in the upper right of your website, and I'm actually calling it now on speakerphone because I'm curious if one of your phones gonna ring in the middle of this interview <laughs> or if it's gonna go to voicemail. Let's let's see. I, do, do folks often call it? I mean, right in the upper right there, 406-201. Is it really ringing? So, so yeah. it goes directly to you then. Wow. Hi, Rob. Hi, Rob. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. <laughs> so, so if I were, if I ran a hair salon and, and I wanted a website, I mean, I would get you, Josh, the, the, essentially the lead developer CTO of this product on the phone if I had questions about, hey, what's your pricing like and, and what's your model like? Yeah. Yeah. Very likely. Yeah. It would be me answering. Uh, you know, how, I, I was, yeah. this has kind of been a test uh, putting the phone number on there. Um, because that's what you would think. I think that that's conventional wisdom. Like, oh, I don't want to put my, 
I have all these people hitting my website. I don't want to put my phone number on there because I'm not going to get any work done because people are just going to be calling me all the time. Um, but in reality, that that's not what we've seen. But I do think that that builds trust in potential customers to know that, that there is a phone number um, where they could talk to a real person if they wanted to. Um, but we don't. We, we don't get a ton of phone calls. We, we get a lot more emails um, and text messages. We have we let people text that that same phone number. So mm. we get text messages, uh, emails, chats, and, and far fewer phone calls than any of those other kind of communication methods. Yeah, but it may make sense in this space with and, this niche of less less technical yeah, people, that, that it would be a comfort, you know, thing of comfort. Mm -hmm. I would add to that, that like our strategy has also been at this stage. We just feel that at this stage, the less friction that you add, the better. So we just want to keep things easy and let people contact us in the way that makes sense for them. Um, mm -hmm. And that may change in the future, but it works for us now. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I think um, that goes back to the, the concept of growth is that we want to uh, like minimize the amount of friction so that to, to max the growth. And then once uh, once we're happy with the with the growth rate that we're seeing, then we can start adding friction in at, at key points to help throttle our, our growth or throttle the time that we have available to handle certain things. Um, but, but while we're in a mode that we can handle it, then we wanna have it as little friction as possible. Yep, yeah, I think that makes sense. We seem to have struck a nerve with the cold email because there's like a few more questions about that. Um, Jessica, I presume these would be for you, but Pablo says, how do you choose who to cold email? In essence, how do you build your list? Yeah, so we started, as I mentioned, um, just identifying customers we knew were using a different service provider that we believed, um, based on reviews uh, that we found online, that they were likely to be uh, dissatisfied with the service that they were signed up with. Um, and so we went out and, you know, a lot of website companies uh, very clearly state um, bottom of the website, they put the website. And so it was pretty easy to identify those customers and then find emails for them. Um, and we used a, a VA to help us do that faster. Um, and so that is what uh, we started out with. And then, you know, we're looking at different uh, lists uh, that would be useful. Um, where we could we we could replicate that same process with a different customer list and there are lots of services um for those who are looking for for that kind of thing there are a lot of lead based uh services out there that have databases where you can find leads as well if you don't want to go the va route yeah lead fuse f-u-z-e is one i'm actually an angel investor there and they have a really nice database um that you can cut uh, all, you know in all types of um ways slice it and dice it there's a follow-up quote where there's a question from youtube and i think you've already answered it um the person asks are you buying your email list and it sounds like you are not you are hand constructing them Is that right with a va yes yep okay and then um this is yeah it's from will johnson and a follow-up question he said do you mention your competition in your cold emails Um, we have tested that and we did have some success with that, um, but we also saw similar success without directly mentioning the competitor, but speaking to the pain points that we saw that their customers were experiencing through their reviews mm. and, and through other customers that we've converted who've told us what the pain points were of the other service. 
And so there is a way to call it out without, um, without specifically mentioning the company. Mm -hmm. Very cool. Yeah. I mean, there's some, I think there's some good lessons here because it's, you're, you're targeting it, there some online and some offline businesses. You're using cold email and making that work. You have phone number on your website that people can text or call not only for sales but for support as well and i think a lot of bootstrappers especially time strapped um often developers who don't you know want to necessarily don't want a cold email don't want to have someone calling them on the phone like i i think that there this shows that this type of model can be successful i'm um, to have basically 5x your revenue you know in the last eight or nine months uh, yeah about seven or eight months i guess um, shows that that you're really doing something right and that you've tapped into a, a formula that's working. Yeah, I, I think it's about being... Yeah, go oh, go ahead, Rob. I was just going to say, do you feel like, you know, I've been there where I start a business and it's like you're you're just scratching and clawing and you're at 10 customers and then 12 and then 14 and it's like, oh my gosh, this is never going to do anything. And suddenly you're at a hundred, right? And does it feel like Josh, like you've hit product market fit at this point? Do you feel like you're starting to, uh, to scale up? Does it feel like that from the inside? Cause the numbers feel like that, you know, from the outside, obviously you're still early. And if we do, if I do loose math and say you have a hundred customers and your price point, you see, you have a 49 and a 129, And if we just take, you know, 75 or $80, um, that would put you around, and you, know, you don't have to divulge your MRR, but I'm just doing loose math as I would on, on any um, you know, SaaS app. I'm going to guess you're approaching 10K of MRR, which is a pretty good mark where I start thinking um, product market fit, right? Typically, it's, it depends, but typically between 5 and 10K MRR is like a, a good sign that product market fit is happening. Um, so, you know, Josh, I'm, I'm curious if that's how it feels to you on the inside as well. It's like, hey, churn is low, a lot of people convert, um, and, and you're building something scalable here. Yeah, I, I can tell you, um, we spent a lot of time last year doing that clawing and scratching piece where um, we definitely didn't have product market fit, you know? And then we, we changed our audience, changed our offering a little bit. Um, and yeah, all of a sudden, now we're growing. So I, I do feel, you know, it, I think product market fit is, it's a, it's a difficult thing to really describe like, oh, now we have it just right. Because you know, from the inside, we do, we face our own problems and we're growing quickly. And so we have new problems every two weeks. I feel like we have a whole new set of problems. Um, but I think that, that just the growth that we've seen thus far is, is telling us that we're, that we're on the right path. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I mean, for listeners, like I don't view product market fit as a binary. I don't think almost, yeah, unless exactly. you've never had it, you know, it's like zero to one. It's not, it's like zero to a hundred. And yeah. typically you get the more you tick up and then you have 10% and then you have 20% and then 30%, 40. And then what I've found is you'll often start getting up, oh, 50, 60%. This is amazing. I have this amazing product market fit. And then a new audience finds out about you. And then they start approaching and suddenly your product market fit with, you know, your two audiences now, or your two niches or your two groups of customers, it, it averages down and you start losing it. You still have it with that old group, but the new group almost makes you feel like, oh my gosh, we've lost it, even though you're probably growing faster. And that will just continue to happen, especially if you're kind of a vertical uh, niche play and you're expanding into other verticals, the new verticals, you're going to start back at square one, you know, at 10% and have to have to work your way up. So it sounds like that maybe is in line with with what you're feeling. Yeah, yeah. I think that describes it pretty well. <laughs> We've actually signed up more people from the original audience under the new messaging 
than we did when we were specifically marketing to them. Yep. So yeah, that's awesome. Sounds good. Well, thank you. We're at time already. Um, thank you guys so much for joining me today. Again, if folks want to, if they want to keep up with you, obviously you're at cardsetter.com. Um, Jessica Baldwin, you are at Jessica underscore B365 on Twitter. And Josh Tenyez is Joshua Tenyez. You're going to have to look at the show notes. Really your name. Oh yeah, really you can see it in the video. It's not, a, it's not a phonetic spelling, but uh, at least I get the <laughs> right. So Jessica, Josh, thank you so much again for uh, joining me on the show. Thanks, Rob. For having us. Absolutely. All right, as we wrap, MicroConf Remote is coming to us September 1st, and this is the first mention I get to make of this. We have a new guest. We're doing Q&A, AMA style, the story of building Hey.com with Jason Freed. So he and I are going to be riffing for a bit. All attendees will be seated at tables in MicroConf Remote, so they can, ch tables in quotes, right? So they can chat with uh, with folks during the event. So we're gonna have a hallway track. We're gonna set it up MicroConf style. Get tickets at microconfremote.com for the prices go up next week. Thank you so much for joining me. See you here next Wednesday. <laughs>